Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This week is episode 319, and we're talking about our top 10 things to do in Italy. That's right. Italy is a fantastic country, and we always enjoy our time there. But first, let's update you quickly on what's been going on in Colombia. So when we last talked to you, we were in Taganga. We recorded in a small hostel room with pillows around us, and it was quite an adventure. Sure was. Well, we decided to spend a bit more time in Taganga because we liked it so much, and we actually headed off into the jungle, to the Lost City. The Lost City is so cool. It's like this miniature Machu Picchu, but it was only found about 40, 45 years ago. It was just really cool. And what makes it even better or worse, depending on how you look at it, is there's absolutely no way to get there by vehicle, unless you count a mule. So we had to do a four-day hike to get there and get back, and that was just spectacular. It was quite hard work because most of it was uphill or downhill. I'd say 80% of the walk was uphill or downhill, and only 20% was flat or gently undulating. So we both finished the walk with quite sore knees. Even though we took the same paths and we started and finished in the same place, I'm sure there was more uphill than downhill. I don't know how they did it. It must be some kind of mystical Kogi trick, but there was a lot more uphill than downhill. You're right, I it did feel I... like that. And Because what we did was we started in one point. We went out by a jeep to a town called Machete, which is called that because the inhabitants used to have drunken machete duels. So... From there, we started walking, and we walked, well, for two and a half days until we got to the Lost City. Then we turned around and came back. So we were definitely going down the same hills that we'd already came up and going up the same hills we'd already come down. But yeah, when we were going up them, they felt like they went on forever. And when we came down them, they felt a lot better. But it was definitely worthwhile. It was great. Some of my highlights involved actually getting to the Lost City itself and and looking around and understanding something of that culture and also being able to speak with a shaman who Mm -hmm. actually lives on site. He's the community's representative to keep the the gods happy and, and keep nature in balance there uh, at the Lost City. So that was really cool. We had a chance to ask him some questions and, and have a talk. That was really nice. It was quite meaningful. Yeah. I really enjoyed finishing each day at the campsites. Well, there were camps with, with beds. We thought we were going to be sleeping in hammocks, but all of the camps we stayed in had beds and hammocks. So I was quite happy about that. In each of the campsites we stayed at, there was a water hole in the river so we could go swimming. And we really, really appreciated that. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. There's half a dozen companies that offer tours into the Lost City, but after a bit of research, we decided to go with Expo Tour. They have offices both in Taganga and Santa Marta, and they were wonderful. Yeah, we had the best guide. We talked to people who were doing other tours with other companies, and yeah, I don't know, it might have just been because it was our guide, but we really liked it. (laughs) We did indeed. Okay, let's hear a little bit of sound from the jungle. Well, we left Taganga, a beautiful hippie seaside diving town, and we came here to Bogota, which is the exact opposite. It's a city of almost 9 million people in a mountain valley where it rains all the time, compared with Taganga, which was a city of about 900 people. Possibly. Um, on the coast where they haven't actually seen decent rain in over two years. Yeah, apparently it's been really nice and sunny here. Everyone from Bogota has actually been complaining about how hot it is. And since we've arrived, we've had temperatures of around 10 to 15 degrees. We've been cold. 
And, you know, they're going, yeah, just last week it was really hot. It was miserable. We're going, no, 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 that's all we want. (laughs) So that hasn't stopped us getting out and about. We've been to see an underground salt cathedral, uh, which is built into a salt mine. We also wandered around Candelaria, which is the kind of historical district. And we've been out for some great meals, too. We also went up Montserrat Hill on a cable car, expecting to see wonderful views over Bogota. But because of the weather, we didn't have the best views. It was really foggy, so we got a great view of white. <laughs> yeah, it was, there was a lot of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. A lot of atmosphere. I'm thinking of it as a shared experience. We've been hanging out with one of my ex-students, Julian, and his wife, Jimena, and it's really great to hang out with them after, I think it's been seven years. It doesn't feel like that long. But uh, Julian actually helped me with my Spanish right when I first started learning Spanish, so that was a long time ago now. Yeah, it sure was. Julian and Jimena are planning a trip to Europe, and they're going to be spending quite a lot of time in Italy, which is part of the reason why we decided to talk about Italy in this podcast, because we really love Italy, and we were talking to them about some of our tips for Florence, for Venice, for Pisa, all of the places they're going to go. And we thought, well, we've got it in mind. Let's talk to you about it too. Absolutely. So here is our top 10 things to do in Italy. So number one has to be Rome. Rome is an amazing place. It's enormous. It's full of history. It's delicious. I mean, I mean, beautiful. <laughs> Smooth. Yeah, I I have a love-hate relationship with Rome. I don't like big, busy, bustling cities for longer than a few days. I like them. I like getting the energy. And then after, say, a week, I start to go downhill, which is why it's great. There's so much beautiful countryside around. But Rome is one of these cities where I can click in and get into the feel of it. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the last time we were in Italy, we were, no, actually, it wasn't the last time. It was the time before, because just last year we did one day stopover on our way to Moldova. <laughs> I'm not sure if it counts, because we literally came out of the airport, walked the long way around to our hotel via a shopping center to get some dinner, and then slept, and then got up the next morning, went to the airport and left. But, you know, we've been in Italy recently. That so counts. Yeah, but the time before that, we just had, I think, three days in Rome. It was a flying visit. We were there basically because we'd found cheap flights from Rome to Asia and then Asia onwards. And so we were just stopping in. But it was so great. We were there going, why? Why didn't we spend more time here? Why did we only book three days? It was one of those really amazing, great feelings, right? We, we were just there and we wanted to spend more time and it just yeah, it caught our attention. Yeah, everyone knows Rome for the beauty of its classical buildings from the, the golden age of Rome, really. Uh, when the Roman Empire was was growing and spreading and, and pulling almost all of the wealth of Europe and North Africa into itself. And those buildings are still amazing today. I just love walking around that central area where the, the Forum, the Capitol is, and, and just seeing it. But when uh, my parents were there, I recommended they do a night tour of the Colosseum, and that was one of the highlights of their European trip. So that's going on our list for next time. Yeah, I can't believe we haven't done it. One of our highlights was doing a food tour of Rome, and we went to the markets and various other places. We tried cheeses. We tried all sorts of things, and I think that was one of my highlights. Yeah, I think that uh, will continue to be one of my highlights. It was fantastic. Something that's really important to do is to visit the world's smallest country, the Vatican City. You won't need your passport, but you will need modest clothing. So just like you will in in most of the Mediterranean's cathedrals, churches, mosques, etc. There's probably going to be a long security queue and then a bag search before you can enter to look at all the beautiful things. The ways to skip the queue are to get there early in the morning. 
and also to buy tickets to some of the uh, the cathedrals and things that aren't available for free. And then you get a bit of a line skipping help there. All right, let's move on to number two. And we've already alluded to this, but I, I don't know if we've made it clear enough that when you're in Italy, you should eat. Just eat. Wherever you are, eat. There's a reason that Italian cuisine has spread around the world. It's not only got this beautiful simplicity, it's also delicious. Yeah, and you'll find that in Italy they use fresh ingredients and everything just tastes a bit, I don't know, different. It won't be exactly the same as what you get back home. And that's in part because restaurants around the world adapt their flavors to local tastes, but also because Italy is quite a big country and it's a country of regions. So the Italian food you're getting at home might be from one region and you're staying in a completely different one. So you'll find the flavors are quite different. Yeah, I'm always all about asking what the local flavors or local delicacies are and whether that's seafood or beef or pork, pasta or pizza, I have not been unhappy yet. With one exception, without doubt, in 95% of hotels in Italy, breakfast is crap. Breakfast is very disappointing in Italy. Yeah. You get a good coffee because they do coffee very, very well, as you might expect. But apart from that, you just get like packets of biscuits or like a dry cake that's, you know, been plastic wrapped as well. They basically go to the supermarket and buy light things, and then that's what everyone eats. No one has a big breakfast. Yeah, so if you're a breakfast fan, prepare for disappointment. But if you can get going on a coffee and hang out till lunch, have a beautiful three- to five-course lunch, then you're doing it right. I think I'd recommend, though, if you're looking for a hotel, don't base your decision on breakfast being included (laughs) because you'll just be sad. No, definitely not. So let's talk about one of the cities where food has been A, most disappointing, and B, most amazing for us, which is Venice. Yeah, there's there's really nothing like Venice. You have to go to Venice. We've been there three times now, and the first two times we had quite challenging experiences. If you've been listening to the Indie Travel Podcast from the beginning, you you might remember one of our very first episodes was called How Not to Get Ripped Off in Venice. And we were so frustrated because... Venice thrives on tourism, and most people who are there are there for the first time, and so they don't know how things work, and they sit down to have a drink, and they get charged so much. They get charged a cover charge, they get charged extra for sitting outside, extra for live music. We've heard of people paying 25 euros just for a cup of coffee or or a glass of wine. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. And while I've had some friends that have been there recently and said it's improved, they've also said that after hearing all of our tips and advice on what to do to not get ripped off Mm -hmm. while sitting down in a cafe. So I'm not sure uh, what things are like right now. It's been about three years since we were last in Venice. But that was our third visit, and that was the one that really worked out for us because we went and we did a food tour. Uh, at night. So we got to wander around through the evening, drinking wine, eating uh, the Venetian style of tapas called chichette, and they were fantastic. And that set us up for understanding Venice, the neighborhoods, and where to eat a lot better. Yeah, I'd highly recommend it. It's with Urban Adventures. You need to book in advance because it's very, very popular. But do that on your first night. You get an idea of how the city is laid out, and you'll also get an idea of where to eat so that you don't get ripped off. 
One of our top tips for our friends that are heading over there soon was to make sure you spend at least one night in Venice. However, they're going to be traveling by hire car, and we recommended that they stay in a city outside of Venice, like Padua, and then take the train into Venice, have the whole day, stay the night, and then have the next day and then come back, have your other night in Padua, and then hit the road again. Mm -hmm. So that gives you the best times of day in Venice, which is from about 4 or 5 p.m. onwards until about 9 or 10 a.m. the next morning because that's when all of the day trippers are gone, all of the cruise ship folks are back on their boat, and there's a lot more space, there's a lot more calm, and those early morning photos of Venice are worth getting up for. So how come you've never managed to get up for them? Because I'm not interested in photography overly much. (laughs) But I do love wandering around when it's quieter. But the nights are, are much more for me than the mornings. Our fourth thing to do in Italy is to do a cooking course. Now, I don't mind if you do this in Sicily, in Emilia-Romagna, in Tuscany. Every place has its own beautiful food. You might even be able to find a local person who's willing to teach you a bit about Italian cooking if you stay in a homestay. I think that could be quite a good way to meet a local person, learn how they cook, actually get into someone's home. But however you do it, learn to cook Italian food. I mean, if you love Italian food, what better souvenir than to go home with the knowledge that you can cook it? Then you can have a party, invite people around, and, you know, it's a real talking point about your trip. And your friends don't just have to hear you talk about it. They also get to eat it. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, one of my signature dishes actually came from an Italian cooking course that we did in Tuscany as a day trip from Rome. So the company organized our train tickets uh, from Rome. We were met at the Rome train station, made sure we got on the right train, ended up in Tuscany, got picked up by car at the train station, driven up into the beautiful rolling olive-covered hills, and uh, cooked for about six or seven hours. Well, we ate as well. (laughs) And, And then back to the station and back into Rome. It was fantastic. And that's become one of my, well, one of the things that we learned to cook there has become my kind of go-to event dish, which is to do squid ink pasta with a ragu. Yeah, if we can't get squid ink, he does it with red wine. That also works. Yeah, works well. If you're interested in food and wine tours, today's episode is sponsored by Select Italy. Select Italy designs custom itineraries for you, and they can book a whole range of products and services, including tours, romantic wedding or honeymoon trips, along with ticketing services for museums and musical events right throughout Italy. Yeah, they do all sorts of things like tours and excursions, food and wide tours, as Craig mentioned, museum theatres, opera tickets. So visit selectitaly.com to learn more. The fifth point in our top ten is to find your way around Florence. It's the home of Michelangelo's David, the whole city, inner city itself is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and it's a place to go if you care even a little bit about human attempts at finding beauty in art. Oh my goodness, Florence is the most beautiful city. You are just surrounded by art everywhere you go. And then there are so many, I mean, it feels like hundreds. There are definitely dozens of museums that you can go to to see art and beautiful buildings. And oh, it's amazing. Yeah, the two big galleries are the Academia and the Uffizi. And we, you know, we've been traveling for 10 years now. We've been to a lot of galleries, a lot of museums, and we're not really so excited about them as we used to be. But going to those two was something else. Amazing, spectacular. So when we were there, we had the Florence card, the Firenze card, and it cost 50 euros. 
It's gone up now to 72 euros. And Holy the, moly. Yeah. But it's for 72 hours, so you get it for three full days. I think it was only uh, for two days. Yeah, that makes that's a lot better because yeah. we were running to get through these museums. Yeah, so it's changed a bit, and they no longer include the transport option. You can add it on for an extra five euros, and you get a few extra benefits. I'm not sure for 72 euros if it's really worth it. If you're going to be doing absolutely everything, then yes. If you're going to Florence and you're going to go to all the museums, get the friends card. It'll just save you time. You'll skip queues. Absolutely. Now, now skipping the queues is the big deal. That's mm. what was so great about it because there'd be queues down a block, down two blocks to get into some of these things. And we could just wander to the front, smile at everyone as we walked past, hand over the ticket, and we, we just skipped that altogether. So that, in my mind makes it so worthwhile. And that's what makes it possible to go to two or three of these museums in one day. That's right. However, I found Florence quite overwhelming because mm. there was so much art. If you are an art lover, by all means, get the Florence card, the Friends card, and go crazy. If you are slightly interested, I would recommend maybe just going to the Academia and the Fusi on two different days and uh, buy your tickets online in advance so you can, again, skip the queues. You'll pay an extra four or five euros for the privilege, but it's worth it. You really don't want to be standing in line. And yeah, just maybe limit yourself to that and maybe one or two other things. Now, you don't need to go into the galleries to appreciate how beautiful the city is. It's even if you just have a few hours or half a day as you stop over on a train somewhere, uh, it's, it's so worthwhile just to wander around. Are you remembering our first trip to Florence? Yeah, that was a great bar. <laughs> it was hilarious. We were traveling from Assisi in the south to Vienna. And we had to go from Assisi to Florence, uh, stay there for a few hours, and then we had an overnight train to Vienna. I think we arrived at something like 10 a.m. or 11 a.m., but the problem was it was the Rugby World Cup, and New Zealand was going to be playing Italy. So we thought, well, it's cultural to watch New Zealand play Italy. In an Irish pub in Florence. Well, the only place to watch it was the Irish pub. So we found the Irish pub, said, okay, we're coming back here, and then we kind of ran around the city going, look, 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 oh, good, that's pretty nice. And then we went back to the bar planning to maybe go and explore Florence a bit more. But then we met some lovely people and we got on really well with them, so we decided to watch the Australia game and then the US game as well. And then we had dinner with them and then we had to run for our train. So we had a, a cultural experience. It might have been New Zealand culture. <laughs> and that was our first trip to Florence, so we had to go back, obviously. Definitely, and I'm so glad we did. Talking of cultural experiences, the next thing on our list is to learn the language. Italian is beautiful. Italian is one of the only languages that was chosen as a national language because of how beautiful it is. I know. How Italian's that? Isn't it? I think it's wonderful. It's not like, oh, okay, this is the language of Rome. Italy is a nation of regions, and so every region had slightly different languages. So when they had to choose an Italian language for newspapers and things like that, well, most countries, for example, France chose the language of Paris and Spain, where you've got the language of Madrid, became the, the principal language. But Italy, no. They chose the most beautiful version. Why do that when you can choose 16th century Italian, cl classical, high Italian? Just mad. So they, they picked the language of Dante to turn into the official spoken and written language of Italy. And you'll notice it. Well, you'll be sitting around having a, an espresso and listening to people talk to each other, and it is just so gorgeous. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of uh, kids running around screaming, but kids running around screaming in Italian? It's quite cute. It's somewhat better. Yeah. Somewhat better. 
There's a lot of ways to learn a language. And in fact, Linda's just put together a massive resource for language learning. Where is that? It's indietravelpodcast.com slash language. That is going to be a great place to go because, as you know, Linda self-taught herself Spanish over the last five years and ended up with a master's degree in teaching it. So she's uh, she's got this down. So that uh, that page at indietravelpodcast.com slash language is excellent. And uh, we've got a few podcasts where we go into all of the ways you can language hack, especially as you travel. But for Italian, I'd recommend choose your favorite city and sign up for a course. Do all the other things like self-learning, reading, writing, etc. But but go there and immerse yourself. I'd recommend a smaller city. Maybe even go into the countryside and stay with locals, either through couch surfing or a homestay, so that you can really use the language as much as possible. In the big cities, it's quite easy to find people who speak English and then you don't use it as much. So yeah, get away from the cities or go to a small city to get the best opportunities. Now, I've only done half of the next thing. This is something that's on my bucket list, but I'm going to recommend to you anyway. It's to drink Nero Davila, which is a, a type of wine which grows on the side of Mount Etna and the volcanic soil there down in Sicily. So drinking Nero Davila, I've done that a lot. I think you one, can say you've done that once or twice, yeah. One, one could say I'm practiced at that. <laughs> but the thing that I'd love to do is to drink Nero Davila in Sicily after climbing Mount Etna. Have a bottle in the backpack, do that hard hike, chill out with some cheese, some local foods. I'm hungry. Drink the wine. It's going to be good. Yeah, We're I think it's a really it. good thing. I think we should actually write these, some of these things down because we have them kind of floating around in the ether, but we don't actually have them written down anywhere. Oh, I'm not writing any kind of bucket list. That would drive me insane. My task orientatedness would just drive me to do it all over the next year. <laughs> Be like, here's a lifetime worth of things. I'm going to do this one next week. <laughs> well, anyway, we do really like Nero Dublin. There's something about it, this really quite thick red wine, really full of flavor. We, I don't think we've ever had a bad Nero Dublin. It's one of our go-tos. If we see it on a supermarket shelf, we think we will get that. Yeah, it's pretty reliable, pretty reliable, but yeah beautiful. Number eight is another one we haven't done, but we've heard really great things about it, the Cinque Terre. Yeah, this group of five towns is a lovely place to relax, to hike, to turn down the pace, slow down, and enjoy. So many of our friends have done it. So many of our friends have told us that we'd love it. So we just got to go and do it one day. I think it's important to keep something back, you know. If we if we do everything, then why would we want to return to Italy? The food, oh, yeah. the wine, the coffee. I think we'll always return to Italy. I think we're okay. Okay, let's move on to number nine. Walk on the roof of Milan's Duomo. Milan's Cathedral is one of these impressive, huge buildings, and you can walk on its roof. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. And when we were last in Milan, uh, which was some time ago now, Milan was pretty ugly, to be honest. It wasn't there, was some, place. there was some beautiful galleries and things like that. But the thing that we found beautiful in the city was the cathedral. It was somewhat overpowering, mm -hmm. considering all of the, the flat concrete and brick buildings all around. And then this, this big kind of gothic mound that popped up there. But yeah, it was so cool being able to pay a couple of euros and climb up a lot of stairs to go and stand on the cathedral roof and just hang out there. What I'd love to do is be able to sneak up a bottle of champagne and just have a picnic up on the roof. I don't think you'd even need to sneak it up. We saw people sitting up there with picnics. 
Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think that would be that would be perfect. But since we were last there, Milan has had a complete and utter revamp. They've spent hundreds of millions on revamping the whole city, including new transport, new paving, I think new street layouts. And so, yeah, we just got to get back there, see what it's like now. And that was all released last year at the, the Milan Expo that they held, kind of a year-long celebration of all of this rework. It sounds like we just have to get back to Italy. It's the other side of the world now. Mm. So number 10, head to the hills. We've talked a lot about Italy's cities, and we've mentioned that there are nice little towns around, but I really want to emphasize the fact that Italy has lots of charming little cities, little towns, little villages that you can hang out in. I especially love going to the ones up in the mountains. The, the beachside towns and fishing villages and all that, they're, they're nice. I love them, especially the fresh seafood and just chilling out in the sun. But there's something so cool about these small little communities that are perched on top of mountains. They have maybe 500, 1,000 people in them, and there have been people living and farming up there in these crazy environments for hundreds of years. It just blows my mind every time. And I enjoy the, the crumbling stone buildings made from local rock. And, yeah, there's just something about it that, that excites me. Yeah, there's, there's all, always really interesting buildings, ancient churches, medieval castles, all of this kind of thing. And if you're lucky, you might even get the chance to take part in a festival because there are always lots of crazy little festivals. Yeah, similar to Spain, Italy is festival mad with all of the, the Catholic festivals plus a whole lot of local festivals which have kind of come out of nowhere. And yeah, if you're, if you're lucky, you'll coincide with one. Well, that's our top 10 things to do in Italy. Let us know if you think we've missed anything or if there's something that is your number one favorite thing to do in Italy that we didn't talk about. Yeah, that would be really cool. You can add that to the conversation on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Indie Travel, or of course, find the show notes at IndieTravelPodcast.com. You'll be able to find them easily by going to IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Europe slash Italy. Well, what are we going to be up to over the next few weeks? I think we're still deciding, aren't we? Yeah, we I have... was hoping you had a plan. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do have a plan, but I'm not sure if it's exactly the right one. Our original plan was to come to Bogota, spend a week here, and then head to Ecuador. But, well, we've kind of decided to leave that, because when we go to Ecuador, we really want to go to the Galapagos, and we don't really have time this time. So we'd prefer to come back and really spend some time in the country. So instead, we might just stay here in Bogota. At the moment, we're actually recording this in a co-working space. You might have heard some background noise during this uh, this recording, so sorry about that. It's other people moving around. They've got a co-working and co-living space. At the moment, we're staying with our friend Sebastian, and it's really lovely, but we don't really want to over overstay our welcome. So we'll stay with him for three or four days, and then we might move into the co-living space here at Magicville. Yeah, it's quite an interesting concept to be co-working and, and hanging out with other entrepreneurs and other freelancers and people that are just working remotely, and then to hit up for lunch with them. That's cool. But then the people that are living here, there's maybe about... 10 or 12 of them at the moment are hanging out in the evening, going out to dinner, playing Xbox together and and just chilling and, and doing life together. And I really like that idea of, of doing life and doing work as part of a community, even if it's as transitory as us being here for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think we'd only be here for two weeks. And then after that, we're flying back to Panama to do a house sit. 
Yeah, it's going to be cool. We'll have plenty more to say about that in the coming months. So I think we uh, will wrap up. So we look forward to hearing your thoughts on Italy. So until next week, travel well.